Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Store. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 48, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. Merry Christmas, Ian. Merry Christmas, Brandon. How are you doing, buddy? I'm pretty good, although I am not as happy as you. Oh, I'm pretty happy right now. You walked into the studio with the mother <laughs> of all bread makers. This is great electronic thing tucked underneath your arm, and I thought, what is happening here? I know. I was so excited. It, the reason I'm so excited is because it was a $400 bread maker. Oh, wow. And it is the best. It lets you do all this custom stuff. It's got dual paddles, makes full-size loaves, all these good things, but... I got it for 40 bucks. Okay. Now that is a Christmas miracle. Right. <laughs> for a sale, the best. Yep. So yeah, that was pretty much the highlight of my whole week. That's fair. I got nothing even close to that. <laughs> a discount bread maker. <laughs> but you know, I think the Christmas presents we get ourselves are sometimes the best. I think so. I think because you know yourself. Yeah. You know? Didn't, uh, didn't you just get something? I did. Yes. Technically we have a rule in the house. Uh, between my wife and I, yeah. that we are not allowed to buy things for ourselves after November. Fair. Um, and typically I do this, you know, because the thing is I don't like asking for things. Right. So I, I will, I don't like having a Christmas list or anything that crap. I just like- Or to, waiting. Or waiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I know, if I want something, I'll go get it. You know, this is sort of how I, how I operate. Right. Uh, however, this thing I had pre-ordered in June and then it turned up in mid-November to great consternation. Of course. You <laughs> bastard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it was this gorgeous um, Criterion Collection edition of Ingmar Bergman Cinema. It's a 30 film box set. Wow. With a gorgeous hardbound book inside. Yeah. Oh man, I cannot wait to dig into this. Nice. Thing. I I'm, I'm a love Ingmar Bergman. I've only ever seen maybe five or six of his films uh, and they're not... You know, they're not cheery holiday movies. No. You know, I, I remember watching Scenes from a Marriage, which is this heart, uh, what's what I'm looking for? Like heartbreaking Swedish miniseries from the 1970s about a couple, middle-aged couple going through a divorce. Oh. And incredible stuff. But wow. not easy to no. take. And then years later, I want to say 30 years later, Bergman made Saraband which I think has been his final film. And it takes up the stories of those two people, Johan and Marianne. No way. 30, 40 years later. Really? Very good stuff. Heartbreaking stuff. Hard hitting. Wow. Um, I think in his review of it, Roger Ebert said something about, we end up with the faces we deserve. Ooh. And so for Johan and Marianne, it is very much the case. Wow. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. So I'm excited to dig into that yeah. during our break. Uh, it is our Christmas episode. Yeah. We're going to be releasing this a little earlier than we ordinarily would because I think Ordinarily, this would drop on Christmas Day. And why is it not releasing then? Because no one will listen to it. Oh, <laughs> and they, they not might, true. <laughs> they might listen to it a little more on the <laughs> in the days running up. <laughs> but um, 
we had talked about doing Victorian Christmas stories. Yes. And we were all set for this. And then yeah. we realized Victorian Christmas stories are actually like four or 5,000 words long. Well, and there's good reason for that. I mean, the Victorians were really big into Christmas uh, in general. Right. They were also really big into ghost stories because in those days, in England especially, you could really only heat one room of your house at a time. Of course. Everyone wasn't at work. They weren't at school. They were all together in that one room and they had to do something to pass the time. And that's when they would start these amazing ghost stories and yeah. tell these great stories but we don't have a lot of the previous year's ones because we weren't publishing things yeah. and nobody could read so um as a result it's the victorians who we have the most ghost stories from yeah and so but since the, you know we're talking easily half the show for one story yes we decided to go with something a little different and we thought we would celebrate christmas with our old friend, everyone's old friend, H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> Absolutely. So we have four of his short stories that we're going to be sharing with you in order to celebrate that great Christmas tradition of telling creepy ass stories. Yep. Because you know what? There are enough Christmas carols already. <laughs> and feel good movies. And Oh, so many feel good movies. <laughs> There's that Kurt Russell thing on Netflix. Uh, some kind of like almost like armed Santa Claus movie. Oh, or, oh yeah, I cannot bring myself. I don't think I will ever watch crap like that. No, I hope not. No. Apparently though, can't. something like 20 million people did when it came out. Then 20 million people deserve to die. <laughs> okay. Shots fired. <laughs> if you listen and you have watched that film, do not be sad. Do He doesn't mean you. No, Krampus will come and get you. Okay. Yeah. Krampus will take care yeah, of it. Yeah. Krampus That's will fair. take care of it. We have not one, but two musical guests on our show tonight. Very cool. Uh, during the bumpers, we'll be hearing the brand new single from Hexagram. That is their cover of Shedrick, The Little Swallow, mm -hmm. uh, which is a very creepy Halloween or it is Christmas such, song. Rather. It is such a great version of it because it's got that sort of cheery Christmas side to it. But underneath in there, you can hear it, that weird off, just a little kind of weird minor key thing. It makes it exceptionally creepy. Yes. The second song is Christmas Angel from Polka Dot Cadaver, from their album From Bethlehem to Oblivion. And that came out in 2013. You can find them at polka dot cadaver, spelled exactly the way it sounds, dot bandcamp.com. And you can find Hexagram on all the major streaming services and at hexagram with two X's, not three, dot bandcamp.com. Coming up after the break, a varied Lovecraft Christmas. Welcome back. As we said before the break, this is our Christmas episode, and we are going to be reading four short stories from H.P. Lovecraft, all of which thankfully are in the public domain. Yay. Hooray. I checked <laughs> because I know Arkham houses, they, ha they apparently hold claim or lay claim to some of his writings after a certain time period, Oh, okay. but it's kind of murky. Right. So I figured these are all written before then and are public domain, so no one can mess with no us. No one can mess with us. And Perfect. that is the merriest of Christmases <laughs> when no one fucks with you. And I mean, these do definitely fit in with that tradition of telling ghost stories in a darkened room. Yes. Yeah. So do you have much of a history with uh, Lovecraft? No. Uh, other than my son and I would listen to um, the audiobooks while driving around. He's a big, oh, okay. big, big HP Lovecraft fan. Um, Cthulhu was a general part of our of household. course, yes. Um, but no, not, not Oh, fair enough. But it, now you do, you had a 
Actually, it was kind of a horrible experience for you, wasn't it? <laughs> well, sort of. Yeah. I, I got into Lovecraft when I was a teenager as well. Right. Uh, so, you know, I, and of course I was a typical small town teenager, you know, you want to, you want to believe the, the, the Necronomicon is real. Yes. You know, you want all that shit cause you're stupid. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, a couple of years ago, I guess it would be four years ago now, my cousin wanted to go check out the Lovecraft film festival down in, uh, Portland. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so we went down there and, uh. It didn't go real well. No. No. I got so friggin' sick. With on, like food poisoning or? I think it was a, I think it was a bug. Okay. I think it was a bug. Um, but I don't know for sure. I want to say on the second, it was a, it was the second, the first full day of the festival. Right. And I woke up real sick and then I ended up in the hospital in Portland for about eight hours in the ER getting oh, some no. fluids and. Oh, you dehydrated. Yeah. Dehydrated. I, I, I passed out actually. I, I started whiting out. Which oh, is an yeah, interesting yeah. experience. Yeah. No, not good. No, no. I remember, uh, they asked me, you know, do you want to go in the ambulance? Do you not want to go in the ambulance? And I said, put me in that goddamn thing. Yeah. Because I, I, in case this happens again. Yeah. And then I was sitting in a wheelchair in admitting in the triage that they were waiting to process me. And it started happening again, the oh, whiteout. No. And I remember saying, I was kind of rolling my head and saying, it's happening again. And the nurses are, uh, over at the nurse station looking at a funny video on YouTube and kind of laughing. <laughs> and I thought, yep, yep. This is the American healthcare system. Yep. <laughs> Jesus. And Tell me you had some insurance. Of course. Okay. I don't set, God. I don't take a single step across the border no, without travel insurance. Can't. No. And the good thing, because that would have been. Cause I had to do some paperwork for the yeah, insurance. Yeah. When I finally got the bill, we were looking at $2,800. Oh, that's quite reasonable actually. Yeah. And well, that's for a drive in the ambulance. Yeah. Two bags of saline. Yeah. A Zofran to keep me from throwing up. Right. And about eight hours, six hours in the ER. Wow. So $2,800. Wow. And, uh, I, I know someone from Victoria who took their elderly mother down across to the, um, what do they call them? The, uh, the islands down there, yeah, Friday Harbor. Yeah, yeah. She fell and broke her hip. No insurance. Oh no. $10,000 a day <gasps> for acute care. No. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's, uh, you guys are ballsy as hell down there because having that, the specter of that hanging over me, should I, you know, sneeze the wrong way? Oh, and I know people down there who have like chronic conditions and can't afford the blood tests. Yeah. It's crazy. And yet we just are like, oh, I don't feel well. I'm going to put a blood test. Yeah, like, you know, it's just yeah, insane. I, I, we definitely take it, uh, we take it for granted. We really take it for granted. But uh, we, I did get to see some of the Lovecraft films, and um, it was, it was overall, it was. I mean, it didn't go the way we wanted it to, <laughs> but we still got to spend some time together in Portland. We Good. still saw some of the movies. Good. And I still have a lot of enthusiasm. Excellent for Lovecraft stuff. Excellent. So why don't we get going? Sure. The first story we have is the terrible old man. It was the design of Angelo Ricci and Joe Zanuck and Manuel Silva to call on the terrible old man. This old man dwells all alone in a very ancient house on Water Street near the sea, and is reputed to be both exceedingly rich and exceedingly feeble, which forms a situation very attractive to the men of the profession of Misters Ricci, Zanuck, and Silva, for that profession was nothing less dignified than robbery. The inhabitants of Kingsport say and think many things about the terrible old man, which generally keep him safe from the attention of gentlemen like Mr. Ricci and his colleagues, despite the almost certain fact that he hides a fortune of indefinite magnitude somewhere about his musty and venerable abode. He is, in truth, a very strange person, believed to have been a captain of East India clipper ships in his day, so old that no one can remember when he was young, and so taciturn that few know his real name. Among the gnarled trees in the front yard of his aged and neglected place, he maintains a strange collection of large stones, oddly grouped and painted so that they resemble the idols in some obscure eastern temple. This collection frightens away most of the small boys who love to taunt the terrible old man about his long white hair and beard, or to break the small pane windows of his dwelling with wicked missiles. But there are other things which frighten the older and more curious folk who sometimes steal up to the house to peer in through the dusty panes. These folks say that on a table in a bare room on the ground floor are many peculiar bottles. In each, a small piece of lead suspended pendulum-wise from a string. And they say that the terrible old man talks to these bottles, 
addressing them by such names as Jack, Scarface, Long Tom, Spanish Joe, Peters, and Mate Ellis, and that whenever he speaks to a bottle, the little pendulum within makes certain definite vibrations as if in answer. Those who have watched the tall, lean, terrible old man in these peculiar conversations do not watch him again. But Angelo Ricci and Joe Zanuck and Man- Manuel Silva were not of Kingsport blood. They were there of that new and heterogeneous alien stock which lies outside the charmed circle of New England life and traditions. And they saw in the terrible old man merely a tottering, almost helpless greybeard who could not walk without the aid of his knotted cane and whose thin, weak hands shook pitifully. They were really quite sorry in their way for the lonely, unpopular fellow whom everybody shunned and at whom all the dogs barked singularly. But business is business. And to a robber whose soul is in his profession, there is a lure and a challenge about a very old and very feeble man who has no account at the bank and who pays for his few necessities at the village store with Spanish gold and silver minted two centuries ago. Mr. Ricci, Zanuck, and Silva selected the night of April 11th for their call. Mr. Ricci and Mr. Silva were able to interview the poor old gentleman while Mr. Zanuck waited for them and their presumable metallic burden with a covered motor car in Ship Street, by the gate in the tall rear wall of their host grounds. Desire to avoid needless explanations in case of unexpected police intrusions prompted these plans for a quiet and unostentatious departure. As prearranged, the three adventurers started out separately in order to prevent any evil-minded suspicions afterward. Mrs. Ritchie and Silva met in Water Street by the old man's front gate, and although they did not like the way the moon shone down upon the painted stones through the budding branches of the gnarled trees, they had more important things to think about than mere idle superstition. They feared it might be unpleasant work making the terrible old man loquacious concerning his hoarded gold and silver, for aged sea captains are notably stubborn and perverse. Still, he was very old and very feeble, and there were two visitors. Mr. Ritchie and Silva were experienced in the art of making unwilling persons voluble, and the screams of a weak and exceptionally venerable man can be easily muffled. So they moved up to the one lighted window and heard the terrible old man talking childishly to his bottles with pendulums. Then they donned masks and knocked politely at the weather-stained oaken door. Waiting seemed very long to Mr. Zanuck as he fidgeted restlessly in the covered motor car by the terrible old man's back gate in Ship Street. He was more than ordinarily tender-hearted, and he did not like the hideous screams he had heard in the ancient house just after the hour appointed for the deed. Had he not told his colleagues to be as gentle as possible with the pathetic old sea captain? Very nervously he watched the narrow oaken gate in the high and ivy-clad stone wall. Frequently he consulted his watch and wondered at the delay. Had the old man died before revealing where his treasure was hidden, and had a thorough search become necessary? Mr. Zanuck did not like to wait so long in the dark in such a place. Then he sensed a soft tread or tapping on the walk inside the gate, heard a gentle fumbling at the rusty latch, and saw the narrow, heavy door swing inward. And in the pallid glow of the single dim street lamp, he strained his eyes to see what his colleagues had brought out of that sinister house which loomed so close behind. But when he looked, he did not see what he had expected, for his colleagues were not there at all, but only the terrible old man leaning quietly on his knotted cane and smiling hideously. Mr. Zanuck had never before noticed the color of that man's eyes. Now he saw that they were yellow. Little things make considerable excitement in little towns, which is the reason that Kingsport people talked all that spring and summer about three unidentifiable bodies, horribly slashed as with many cutlasses and horribly mangled as by the tread of many cruel boot heels which the tide washed in. And some people even spoke of things as trivial as the deserted motor car found in Ship Street, or certain especially inhuman cries probably of a stray animal or migratory bird, heard in the night by wakeful citizens. But in this idle village gossip, the terrible old man took no interest at all. 
He was by nature reserved, and when one is aged and feeble, one's reserve is doubly strong. Besides, so ancient a sea captain must have witnessed scores of things much more stirring in the far-off days of his unremembered youth. Huh. What did he do to him? Nothing good. No. Don't fuck with old people. <laughs> That's the moral of the story. That's right. Don't abuse your grandparents at Christmas. I'm telling you. <laughs> so this reminds me of a guy from Revelstoke. Uh, we used to call him. He'd come into our store. We used to call him Stinky Mike. Oh, poor guy. He had a very Russian last name, which I'm not going to say yeah. just in case he's still alive. <laughs> I, I don't think he is, but just in case. So, um, yeah, he was filthy. Wore the same clothes every day. Right. Um, would come in for a coffee and was always very polite. You know, he expected to be waited on like it was a restaurant, which right. it wasn't, but that's no. fine. Whatever. Yeah. You, you've lived this long. Yeah, you knew. You knew. Yeah. Yeah. Supposedly Mike had a lot of money because he worked for the railroad all his life back right. when that was serious money. Yeah. And he supposedly had uncashed social security checks all around his house. Wow. But back in the day when he was working on the railroad, these kids used to break into his house. Right. Because he they knew he had stuff. Yeah. And cash. Well, finally one day- he pretended he was going to work. Oh my God. And he lay in the bushes with a gun. Huh? One of these kids started breaking into his house. He shot one of them in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> that would end that. Yeah. The cops came and they said, look, Mike, we, we get it, but you can't shoot, shoot humans. You can't lure them in and shoot them. That's not, this isn't the da most dangerous game. This is not how this works. It's not Florida. No. Yeah. Yeah. God, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so it just reminded me of, of stinky Mike. Also, wow. the movie Don't Breathe, which is, if you like thrillers. Oh, yeah. I need to see that. I saw that advertised. It looked really interesting. And it's a similar plot, actually. Oh, okay. Kids break into the house of this old man because he's blind and right. feeble because they hear he's got all this cash. Right. And it goes very bad. For them. For them. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. And you find out the old man's not exactly innocent either. Oh. It's, uh, oh, yeah. It's, it goes places that I won't even try to describe here, but make sure you see it. Nice. Okay, I will. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Polaris. Into the north window of my chamber glows the pole star with uncanny light. All through the long hellish hours of blackness it shines there. And in the autumn of the year, when the winds from the north curse and whine, and the red-leaved trees of the swamp mutter things to one another in the small hours of the morning under the horned waning moon, I sit by the casement and watch that star. Down from the heights reels the glittering Cassiopeia as the hours wear on, while Charles Wayne lumbers up from behind the vapor-soaked swamp trees that sway in the night wind. Just before dawn, Arcturus winks ruddily from above the cemetery on the low hillock, and Coma Berenice's shimmer weirdly afar off in the mysterious east. But still the pole star leers down from the same place in the black vault, winking hideously like an insane watching eye, which strives to convey some strange message yet recalls nothing save that it once had a message to convey. Sometimes, when it is cloudy, I can sleep. Well do I remember the night of the great aurora, when over the swamp played the shocking coruscations of the demon light. After the beams came clouds, and then I slept. And it was under a horned waning moon that I saw the city for the first time. Still and somnolent did it lie, on a strange plateau in a hollow betwixt strange peaks. Of ghastly marble were its walls and towers, its columns, domes, and pavements. In the marble streets were marble pillars, the upper parts of which were carven into the images of grave, bearded men. The air was warm and stirred not, and overhead, scarce ten degrees from the zenith, glowed that watching pole star. 
Long did I gaze on the city, but the day came not. When the red Aldebaran, which blinked low in the sky but never set, had crawled a quarter of the way around the horizon, I saw light and motion in the houses in the streets. Forms strangely robed, but at once noble and familiar, walked abroad, and under the horned waning moon men talked wisdom in a tongue which I understood, though it was unlike any language I had ever known. And when the red Aldebaran had crawled more than halfway around the horizon, there were again darkness and silence. When I awaked I was not as I had been. Upon my memory was graven the vision of the city, and within my soul had arisen another and vaguer recollection, of whose nature I was not then certain. Thereafter, on the cloudy nights when I could sleep, I saw the city often, sometimes under that horned waning moon, and sometimes under the hot yellow rays of a sun which did not set, but which wheeled low around the horizon. And on the clear nights, the pole star leered as never before. Gradually I came to wonder what might be my place in that city, on the strange plateau betwixt strange peaks. At first content to view the scene as an all-observant uncorporeal presence, I now desired to define my relation to it, and to speak my mind amongst the grave men who conversed each day in the public squares. I said to myself, This is no dream, for by what means can I prove the greater reality of that other life, in the house of stone and brick, south of the sinister swamp and the cemetery on the low hillock, where the pole star peers into my north window each night. One night, as I listened to the discourse in the large square containing many statues, I felt a change, and perceived that I had at last a bodily form. Nor was I a stranger in the streets of Olatho, which lies on the plateau of Sarkis, betwixt the peaks Noton and Kadifanek. It was my friend Alos who spoke, and his speech was one that pleased my soul, for it was the speech of a true man and patriot. That night had the news come of Dicos's fall, and the advance of the Anutos, squat, hellish yellow fiends who five years ago had appeared out of the unknown west to ravage the confines of our kingdom, and finally to besiege our towns. Having taken the fortified places at the foot of the mountains, their way now lay open to the plateau, unless every citizen could resist with the strength of ten men, for the squat creatures were mighty in the arts of war, and knew not the scruples of honor which held back our tall, grey-eyed men of Lomar from ruthless conquest. Alos, my friend, was commander of all the forces on the plateau, and in him lay the last hope of our country. On this occasion he spoke of the perils to be faced, and exhorted the men of Alatho, bravest of the Lomarians, to sustain the traditions of their ancestors, who, when forced to move southward from Zobna, before the advance of the great ice sheet, even as our descendants must some day flee from the land of Lomar, valiantly and victoriously swept aside the hairy, long-armed cannibal Nofkes that stood in their way. To me Alos denied a warrior's part, for I was feeble and given to strange faintings when subjected to stress and hardships. But my eyes were the keenest in the city, despite the long hours I gave each day to the study of the narcotic manuscripts and the wisdom of the Zubnerian fathers. So my friend, desiring not to doom me to inaction, rewarded me with that duty which was second to nothing in importance. To the watchtower of Thapnon he sent me, there to serve as the eyes of our army. Should the Anutos attempt to gain the citadel by the narrow pass behind the peak Noton, and thereby surprise the garrison, I was to give the signal of fire which would warn the waiting soldiers and save the town from immediate disaster. Alone I mounted the tower, for every man of stout body was needed in the passes below. My brain was sore dazed with excitement and fatigue, for I had not slept in many days, yet was my purpose firm, for I love my native land of Lomar, and the marble city of Olatho that lies betwixt the peaks of Noton and Kadifanek. But as I stood in the tower's topmost chamber, I beheld the horned waning moon, red and sinister, quivering through the vapors that hovered over the distant valley of Benoff, and through an opening in the roof glittered the pale pole star, fluttering as if alive, and leering like a fiend and tempter. Methought its spirit whispered evil counsel, soothing me to traitorous somnolence with a damnable rhythmical promise which it repeated over and over. Slumber Watcher till the spheres six and twenty thousand years have revolved, and I return to the spot where I now burn. Other stars anon shall rise to the axis of the skies, stars that soothe and stars that bless with a sweet forgetfulness. Only when my round is o'er shall the past disturb thy door. Vainly did I struggle with my drowsiness, seeking to connect these strange words with some lore of the skies which I had learned from the narcotic manuscripts. My head, 
heavy and reeling, drooped to my breast, and when I next looked up it was in a dream, with a pole star grinning at me through a window over that horrible swaying trees of a dream swamp. And I am still dreaming. In my shame and despair, I sometimes scream frantically, begging the dream creatures around me to waken ere the Anuto steal up the past behind the peak Noton and take the citadel by surprise. But these creatures are demons, for they laugh at me and tell me I am not dreaming. They mock me whilst I sleep, and whilst the squat yellow foe may be creeping silently upon us. I have failed in my duty and betrayed the marble city of Olatho. I have proven false to Alos, my friend and commander. But still these shadows of my dream deride me. They say there is no land of Lomar save in my nocturnal imaginings, that in those realms where the pole star shines high and red Aldebaran crawls low around the horizon, there has been naught save ice and snow for thousands of years, and never a man save squat yellow creatures, blighted by the cold, whom they call Eskimo. And as I writhe in my guilty agony, frantic to save the city, whose peril every moment grows, and vainly striving to shake off this unnatural dream of a house of stone and brick, south of a sinister swamp and a cemetery on a low hillock. The Pole Star, evil and monstrous, leers down from the black vault, winking hideously like an insane watching eye, which strives to convey some strange message, yet recalls nothing save that it once had a message to convey. Uh, there is some not so subtle racism happening in that story. Well, I, yeah, you know, like the squat <laughs> yellow. Come on, man! Holy shit! But this happened all the time in these guys' stories. Oh, I realize. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you sort of. I think you can still enjoy the story. You just gotta parse that bit out. Yeah, and be aware of it. Yeah, I mean, he didn't use any slurs. That's a, <laughs> that's, that's a blessing. God. Yeah. Okay, so we're we're a step ahead. We won't be reading any Mark Twain. Right? That. No. <laughs> <laughs> Though I do enjoy. His writing, I don't particularly want to be saying anything like that no. on the show. No, me no. neither. Uh, that was creepy. That was a great one. It is good. Have you ever had dreams like that where... No? I don't get a lot of dreams I remember. Really? No. Haven't for years and years and years. Never had a dream where you have another life somewhere? And... I had a dream where I was alternatively the Bionic Man and then I was following the Bionic Man. Okay. Well, that's... That's about as good as it gets. You were not defending Alatho and uh No, we were running around a street and hiding behind cars. I don't really Okay. Fair enough. Remember. Fair enough. Sorry. This it kind of reminds me of um this thing I once saw in an interview. It was a video interview of a remote viewer. Okay. And he was talking about um this one uh what do you call it, target he'd been given. Right. And the way it works is you don't know what the target is, you just have a numerical code. Right. So he started describing what he had seen. And it was a, a huge stone temple right. built for people much bigger than him. Right. And he describes all these different things about it. And he walks outside and he says, the sky isn't right. The sky doesn't look right. And he right. can't, I can't remember exactly what he yeah. says, but when he looked at the target, right. it was uh, something like Mars a, a thousand years ago. Whoa. Or Mars a million years ago. Holy crap. Yeah. That's so wild. It just, um. You know, because so much of fiction from Lovecraft's time was centered around this idea of either ancient civilizations, which yeah. had been sort of hidden by time or yeah. were on other planets. Yes. And sort of un unavailable to us. Yeah. And but they could uh, come to us. We couldn't get to them. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And uh, this is very much, yeah, just very much put me in the mind of that. The Thing in the Moonlight. Morgan is not a literary man. In fact, he cannot speak English with any degree of coherency. That is what makes me wonder about the words he wrote, though others have laughed. He was alone the evening it happened. Suddenly, an unconquerable urge to write came over him, and taking pen in hand, he wrote the following. My name is Howard Phillips. I live at 66 College Street in Providence, Rhode Island, on November 24th, 1927, for I know not even what the year may be now. I fell asleep and dreamed since when I have been unable to awaken. My dream began in a dank, reed-choked marsh that lay under a gray autumn sky with a rugged cliff of lichen-crusted stone rising to the north. Impelled by some obscure quest, I ascended a rift or cleft in the beetling precipice, noting as I did the black mouths of many fearsome burrows, extending from both walls into the depths of the stony plateau. At several points, the passage was roofed over by the cha 
At several points, the passage was roofed over by the choking of the upper parts of the narrow fissure, these places being exceeding dark and forbidding, the perception of such burrows as may have existed there. In one such dark place, I felt conscious of a singular accession of fright, as if some subtle and bodiless emanation from the abyss were engulfing my spirit, but the blackness was too great for me to perceive the source of my alarm. At length I emerged upon a tableland of moss-grown rock and scantily soil lit by a faint moonlight, which had replaced the expiring orb of day. Casting my eyes about, I beheld no living object, but was sensible of a very peculiar stirring far below me, amongst the whispering rushes of the pest of the pestilential swamp I had lately quitted. After walking for some distance, I encountered the rusty tracks of a street railway, and the worm-eaten poles which still held the limp and sagging trolley wire. Following this line, I soon came upon a yellow vestibuled car numbered 1852, of a plain double-truck type common from 1900 to 1910. It was untenanted, but evidently ready to start, the trolley being on the wire and the air brake now and then throbbing beneath the floor. I boarded it and looked vainly about for the light switch, noting as I did so the absence of the controller handle, which thus implied the brief absence of the motorman. Then I sat down in one of the cross seats of the vehicle. Presently I heard a swishing in the sparse grass towards the left, and saw the dark forms of two men looming up in the moonlight. They had the regulation caps of a railway company, and I could no doubt but that they were conductor and motorman. Then one of them sniffed with singular sharpness and raised his face to howl to the moon. The other dropped on all fours to run toward the car. I leapt up at once and raced madly out of that car and across endless leagues of plateau till exhaustion forced me to stop, doing this not because the conductor had dropped on all fours, but because the face of the motorman was a mere white cone tapering to one blood-red tentacle. I was aware that I only dreamed, but the very awareness was not pleasant. Since that fearful night I have prayed only for awakening. It has not come. Instead, I have found myself an inhabitant of this terrible dream world. That first night gave way to dawn, and I wandered aimlessly over the lonely swamplands. When night came, I still wandered, hoping for awakening, but suddenly I parted the weeds and saw before me the ancient railway car, and to one side a cone-faced thing lifted its head and in the streaming moonlight howled strangely. It has been the same each day. Night takes me always to that place of horror. I have tried not moving with the coming of nightfall, but I must walk in my slumber, for always I awaken with the thing of dread howling before me in the pale moonlight, and I turn and flee madly. God, when will I awaken? That is what Morgan wrote. I would go to 66 College Street in Providence, but I fear for what I might find there. Boom. Boom. Apparently that is... um not really fully written by Lovecraft. I guess it was, uh, written by a guy named, I think Miskin in the forties based on a dream that Lovecraft wrote about to a friend. Oh, wow. And Lovecraft had that dream where he was on the train car yeah. and he saw the thing with the tapered yeah. face and the cone. He mm. actually had that, uh, that dream. So it's sort of a Lovecraft, but not. Kind of. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Sort From of, the mind of Lovecraft. Exactly. Is that like one of those stupid, um, Tom Clancy books now? From the mind of Tom Clancy. Is, are they doing that? Well. I know they've done it with James Patterson. Yeah. Like, you know, from the mind of James Patterson yeah. and his many assistants who write his books now. Yeah. I'm ashamed to say I read some James Patterson when I was younger. I read. I did too. A few of the Alex Cross books. Well, you don't know any better. No, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Nyarlathotep. The crawling chaos. I am the last. I will tell the audience void. I do not recall distinctly when it began, but it was months ago. The general tension was horrible. To a season of political and social upheaval was added a strange and brooding apprehension of hideous physical danger. A danger widespread and all-embracing, such a danger as may be imagined only in the most terrible phantasms of the night. I recall that the people went about with pale and worried faces, and whispered warnings and prophecies which no one dared consciously repeat or acknowledge to himself that he had heard. 
A sense of monstrous guilt was upon the land, and out of the abysses between the stars swept chill currents that made men shiver in dark and lonely places. There was a demoniac alteration in the sequence of the seasons. The autumn heat lingered fearsomely, and everyone felt that the world and perhaps the universe had passed from the control of known gods or forces to that of gods or forces which were unknown. And it was then that Nyarlathotep came out of Egypt. Who he was none could tell, but he was of the old native blood and looked like a pharaoh. The fellaheen knelt when they saw him, yet could not say why. He said he had risen up out of the blackness of twenty-seven centuries, and that he had heard messages from places not on this planet. Into the lands of civilization came Nyarlathotep, swarthy, slender, and sinister, always buying strange instruments of glass and metal, and combining them into instruments yet stranger. He spoke much of the sciences, of electricity and psychology, and gave exhibitions of power which sent his spectators away speechless, yet which swelled his fame to exceeding magnitude. Men advised one another to see Nyarlathotep, and shuddered. And where Nyarlathotep went, rest vanished, for the small hours were rent with the screams of nightmare. Never before had the screams of nightmare been such a public problem. Now the wise men almost wished they could forbid sleep in the small hours, that the shrieks of cities might less horribly disturb the pale, pitying moon as it glimmered on green waters gliding under bridges and old steeples crumbling against the sickly sky. I remember when Nyarlathotep came to my city, the great, the old, the terrible city of unnumbered crimes. My friend had told me of him, and of the impelling fascination and allurement of his revelations, and I burned with eagerness to explore his uttermost mysteries. My friends said they were horrible and impressive beyond my most fevered imaginings, that what was thrown on a screen in the darkened rooms prophesied things none but Yenlathotep dared prophesy, and that in the sputter of his sparks there was taken from men that which had never been taken before, yet shewed only in the eyes. And I heard it hinted abroad that those who knew Yenlathotep looked on sights which others saw not. It was in the hot autumn that I went through the night with the restless crowds to see Nyarlathotep, through the stifling night and up the endless stairs into the choking room, and shadowed on a screen I saw hooded forms amidst ruins, and yellow evil faces peering from behind fallen monuments, and I saw the world battling against blackness, against the waves of destruction from ultimate space, whirling, churning, struggling around the dimming, cooling sun. Then the sparks played amazingly around the heads of the spectators, and hair stood up on end whilst shadows more grotesque than I can tell came out and squatted on the heads. And when I, who was colder and more scientific than the rest, mumbled a trembling protest about imposture and static electricity, Nyarlathotep drove us all out, down the dizzy stairs into the damp, hot, deserted midnight streets. I screamed aloud that I was not afraid, that I never could be afraid, and others with me screamed for solace. We swear to one another that the city was exactly the same and still alive, and when the electric lights began to fade, we cursed the company over and over again, and laughed at the queer faces we made. I believe we felt something coming down from the greenish moon, for when we began to depend on its light, we drifted into curious involuntary formations and seemed to know our destinations, though we dared not think of them. Once we looked at the pavement and found the blocks loose and displaced by grass, with scarce a line of rusted metal to shoe where the tramways had run. And again we saw a tramcar, lone, windowless, dilapidated, and almost on its side. When we gazed around the horizon we could not find the third tower by the river, and noticed that the silhouette of the second tower was ragged at the top. Then we split up into narrow columns, each of which seemed drawn in a different direction. One disappeared in a narrow alley to the left, leaving only the echo of a shocking moan. Another filed down a weed-choked subway entrance, howling with a laughter that was mad. My own column was sucked towards the open country, and presently felt a chill which was not of the hot autumn. For as we stalked out on the dark moor, we beheld around us the hellish moon glitter of evil snows, trackless, inexplicable snows, swept asunder in one direction only, where lay a gulf all the blacker for its glittering walls. The column seemed very thin indeed as it plodded dreamily into the gulf, I lingered behind, for the black rift in the green litten snow was frightful, and I thought I heard the reverberations of a disquieting wail as my companions vanished, but my power to linger was slight. As if beckoned by those who had gone before, I half floated between the titanic snowdrifts, quivering and afraid, into the sightless vortex of the unimaginable. Screamingly sentient, dumbly delirious, only the gods that were can tell. 
a sickened sense of shadow writhing in hands that are not hands, and whirled blindly past ghastly midnights of rotting creation, corpses of dead worlds with sores that were cities, charnel winds that brush the pallid stars and make them flicker low. Beyond the world's vague ghosts of monstrous things, half-seen columns of unsanctified temples that rest on nameless rocks beneath space and reach up to dizzy vacua above the spheres of light and darkness. And through this revolting graveyard of the universe, the muffled, maddening beating of drums and thin, monotonous whine of blasphemous flutes from inconceivable, unlighted chambers beyond time. The detestable pounding and piping were unto dance slowly, awkwardly, and absurdly the gigantic, tenebrous, ultimate gods, the blind, voiceless, mindless gargoyles, whose soul is Nyarlathotep. Wow. <laughs> you read something like that and you think, well, I'm just going to stop writing forever. It's just, it's poetry. It really is. But it's in a story. And, and it's something I've always appreciated about Lovecraft. It leaves you with this really, real sense of disquiet. Yes. You know? Yes. Uh, and uh, it's, you won't hear it in the show, but partway through I stopped and I said to Ian, all this stuff about the hot autumn is yeah. uncomfortably accurate. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I don't believe in prophecy by no. and large, but, uh, still that you, you read about the sense of fear and disquiet and the, the autumn is hot and you think, oh shit, <laughs> listen for piping. <laughs> Holy man. Pretty much. Well, that was our Lovecraft Christmas. Yep. Thank you for joining us. We are going to, uh, take a quick break and come back with our patron shoutouts and a little bit of listener mail. Welcome back. Thanks to our researchers, Luke Greensmith and Anthony Germain. And Luke wanted to give us a quick shout out to a project he's quite fond of. I think it may be, uh, uh, something he's either maybe knows people involved or is, uh, somehow connected to. Okay. That project is Dark Diddy's Presents. It's a horror anthology show streaming on Amazon Prime in the UK. Cool. He says the third episode is due soon. He enjoyed it quite a lot. Nice. And he thinks it's a fun watch for a group of people. Very cool. So I did check. This is not available in Canada yet, <laughs> or I don't know about the U.S., but uh, yeah, definitely in Amazon UK. Next, we'd like to do our patron shoutouts. Of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons. Absolutely. But we'd especially like to thank our new patrons. We are recording this, as we mentioned, well in advance, so we, there are only a few. We'd like to thank Mike Mandlin. Mike's an old friend of mine. Right. Cassie Wenberg. And Cassie, I think I messed up your name when I wrote... On the envelope, I think I have it Weinberg because I was listening to Springsteen. And, <laughs> yeah. So I, well, there you go. If I did, I apologize. And Megan Federuck. So thank you so much, everybody, for your support. Absolutely. Cannot tell you how much it means to us. It is just the coolest. And speaking of Patreon, we just got our postcards. Yes. They look amazing. They, they did a hell of a job. Of course, our $20 Ghost Force tier is our newest tier. And for $20, you get... Not only the patron-specific sticker designed by Canadian artist Wanda Fraser. Yep. Get access to our bonus episodes, which are the water cooler typically. That's us talking about the movies and TV and we've been watching, the books we've been reading, and all the food we've been eating. Mm -hmm. You get an exclusive ringtone of our theme song. Right. Which is Radio by Pizzanto Music. And The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram, which is not available anywhere else. Nice. Oh, you also get access to our Instagram lives. Yep. And the extra thing that you get at 20, you get a postcard size ghost force magnet you get a digital copy of ian's <laughs> smash hit 1995 christian country album aware of wonder i'm sorry <laughs> and you get three postcards featuring my night shot photography very cool and they do look amazing oh they did such a great job yeah. the, the darks are so the blacks are so incredible. rich incredible they just did a hell of a job 
So if you want to check out all that, go to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. And again, you can support us at the one, five, 10 or $20 level. And you know what? We appreciate it no matter what. Now we're going to take a quick look through our listener mail. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. The first message we have is from Shelby. She had a question about whether or not we've been getting sponsors because she listens on Google Play and the recent episodes have had ads for other supernatural related podcasts after our breaks. And she wanted to know if Google is inserting, is inserting them automatically or if we're getting a piece of ad revenue. And, uh, I realized that we have been running these promos and we never really talked about it. No. So no, we, we have been putting those in Shelby and, uh, for anyone else who's wondering, but, uh, they're not paid. Those no. are other paranormal shows that were actually one of them is not paranormal, bloody murder, their true crime. Right. But they're shows that we wanted to highlight. Uh, bloody murder was really, they're a much bigger show than we are. And they were very cool about, um, doing a, letting, an ad swap, letting us do an ad swap. Yeah. Really? They didn't need our help, No, but, uh, they were very, very good about it. And, uh, so you should definitely check them out mm. at bloody murder. They're Australian and they're a lot of fun. They're actually, their Instagram is pretty great too. And the other show was booze and bourbon. And that is out of Canada, the right. Canadian show. I actually saw them first on Instagram and then I, I listened to their show and their thing is that they tell paranormal stories and they review bourbon <laughs> and, uh, I love bourbon. So I thought, well, let's, let's give them a shout out too. And so we did an ad swap with them and they were also very cool about it. So yeah, so that's, that's what's happening. It's uh, not ads being inserted. That's just us sort of trying to branch out a little bit, create some community and meet some cool people. But, uh, we appreciate you asking. I know we have had ads in the past. We've, uh, we've had sponsors, but it's sort of something we're not really into right now. We don't really like the way it sounds, you know, I mean, uh, and, and you don't make, especially at the level we're at, you don't really make much money. So it's not. Or no money. We, yeah, we, we, I mean, we, got, <laughs> we got headphones. We got free headphones. That was very nice. That was, they were expensive headphones. They were. But, uh, it's not worth, you know, a couple bucks for the extra work it takes to do ads or to really interrupt the flow of the show. And whore ourselves out. That too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe at some point we'll be convinced to whore ourselves out. I don't know. That well, me undies money comes knocking. Or like Shudder. Or Shudder, yeah. Shudder wants to do a sponsorship thing with us. Funny enough, they were talking about that on last podcast on the left. And I think Shudder is so popular right now. And people are talking about it so much. Oh, that's great. They don't need to add No, those. that's good. Oh, that's it's great. great. Great for them. But uh, damn it, I want my free subscription. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much, Shelby. And make sure to check out Bloody Murder and Booze and Bourbon. Uh, we had an email from Melanie. She was commenting on a conversation from our water cooler episode for patrons last month or last episode. We were talking about uh, our favorite Christmas movies and she said that, uh, hers is bad Santa. She was done with Christmas movies until she saw bad Santa <laughs> and bad Santa is a lot of fun. I never saw the sequel. I heard it wasn't great, but, uh, the original is, uh, it's a pretty great holiday movie. Billy Bob Thornton at his greasiest. He is greasy. So make sure to check that out. Thank you, Melanie. That's going to do it for listener mail. If you have any questions or comments or suggestions, please send them to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We always respond. It may take a little while, but we will get back to you. And, uh, also if you have any ghost stories you want to share, mm -hmm. we're starting to build up our collection of stories for next month's, or pardon me, next year's listener stories episodes. And uh, we'd very much like to hear your encounter. To that end, I actually had a creepy thing happen the other night. Tell me. So I was out for a drive. It was about 11 o'clock. And I was driving on Fairfield. Right. Over by the school, the name of which I cannot remember. It's James Douglas. No, it's just before Foul Bay. Margaret Jenkins. Yes. So I was coming from there and I'd been out for a little bit and the night had felt unsettled. Right. But I just thought maybe it was me because I've been high anxiety lately. Right. And then there was this moment where I felt, have you ever popped out a hip? Well, no, but I, yeah. Okay. So I, I have had this happen. I have this issue sometimes where my hips will pop out or my one hip will pop out. And when it slides back in, it's this really uncomfortable, weird, slidey sensation. Right. That's what I felt in my head. Oh, wow. And at that moment, I noticed that all of a sudden towards Margaret Jenkins was much darker. I was with a friend of mine and I mentioned this and... They said, well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I just felt that too. Wow. So ordinarily now I would get to the, come to the next intersection and turn left to go towards downtown yeah. and loop around before yeah. going home. This voice in my head said, nope, don't turn left go because the other that way. front of darkness was moving in closer. Right. 
So we hung a right down towards the water, but it was really like a storm front. Wow. It just moved through the houses. Everything got darker. So, so dark. Wow, that's intense. And it continued all the way along the water. Just this, the night as black as you can imagine. And this constant feeling of chills. Hmm. Until we started pulling up Cook Street again. And then it passed. Interesting. But of course it's been storming here for days. Yeah. Intense wind, intense rain. Yeah. So I, I don't know. And it's getting towards the solstice. Yeah, that's right. So I, I have to wonder if it was Things some are stirring. strange procession moving through. Excellent. Yeah. It's the only weird thing that's happened. It's been a long time actually. Yeah. No, nothing. Had nothing anything paranormal. paranormal. No. Yeah. So must be the season for it. Before we go, I'd like to thank our musical guests. During the bumpers, you heard Shedrick, the little swallow. By Hexagram, you can find more of them on all the major streaming platforms and at Hexagram, that's Hexagram with two X's, not three, dot bandcamp.com. As we head out, you're going to be hearing instead of our music, the great song Christmas Angel by Polkadot Cadaver from their 2013 album From Bethlehem to Oblivion. You can find more from them at polkadotcadaver.bandcamp.com. And of course, we want to thank Peter of Pizzanta Music for our intro and outro music. You can find him online at soundcloud.com slash music. I guess that's going to do it. Yeah. We don't have anything coming up. Uh, nope. We've got, yeah. <laughs> we officially start our Christmas break next week because we're recording this early. Yeah. Our listeners won't notice any difference. We'll continue releasing every two weeks as normal, uh, but we will be recording a little bit in advance and taking yeah. a bit of a break. You can still find us over on Instagram at uh, instagram.com slash ghost guys. We'll still be posting on Facebook. We'll still be hosting Instagram live for $10 patrons. We do that. We try to do that once a month at least. So it won't be hard to find us. No. And again, we'll, we'll be back in two weeks with our next episode. Until then, have a happy holidays and, uh, into the darkness we go. Bluebirds in the summer sing to one another underneath the gold sunshine. After summer's calling, the leaves begin their falling, closing in on winter time. Autumn winds and the cool breeze give way to the naked trees. It's all right with me. They say what will be, will be. Christmas angel on my shoulder. Sing a sweet melody Christmas angel in the twilight Shine a little heaven on me Spring won't spring until the carolers sing Silent night and let it snow Warm by the fireplace Christmas time is on its way And there's no place like home Snowflakes shine like diamonds Outside my window tonight Celestial God in the souls of our loved ones Are shooting stars up in the sky Christmas angel on my shoulder Sing a sweet melody Christmas angel in the twilight Shine a little heaven on me Believe, believe Have some faith in me Believe Have some faith in me Believe, believe Have some faith in me
triggered right now i am now yeah i was now i am <laughs> oh shit i missed the whole line miss years oh, miss years fuck i'm french now just before dawn arcturus winks ruddily oh fuck off this is like gymnastics See? i know jesus it, it's incredible it's really intense it's good but it's not easy to read no no still and somnolent did it lie on a strange plateau no, study of the yeah in one such dark place, I felt conscious of a singular ex... Fuck, this is hard. <laughs> oh, I like that. That was way better. Yeah. Good. Cool. All right, so that's... Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. <laughs> 